Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. I almost said I am the Classic Gaming Brothers. I am <laughs> the Classic Gaming Brother. I am. Oh, man. What a day, what a dollar. <laughs> what a day, what a dollar. I think at this time, these episodes might be coming out when we are in Ireland. This one will be out when we're in Ireland. Wow. So hello from the Irish countryside. If you are a fan of the Classic Gaming Brothers and you live in Ireland and you see a large group of lost tourists, probably us. But yeah, anyway, this episode was uh, brought to you by Powder Milk Biscuits and the Big Blue Box. That gives Shivers the strength to get up and do what needs to be done. <laughs> when you're when you when you're having trouble and you just need a little push. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoying Ireland so far, Seth? I am. What was your favorite part so far? I would say my favorite part so far has been the uh, the wonderful bar scene here and the copious amounts of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, both have been very nice. Well, anyway, Seth, what have you been recently playing? Uh, so recently I've been playing Shadow Gambit, The Cursed Crew, which is sadly the last game that uh, Mimi, M-I, M-I, M-I game that their studio will make. They made Shadow Tactics, uh, Blades of the Shogun, uh, Desperados 3, and now they've made Shadow Gambit, The Cursed Crew, and they are officially shutting down the studio. They're going to support Shadow Gambit since they're voluntarily shutting down the studio and they're not shutting down the studio because they can't keep the lights on. Uh, they're going to continue to support Shadow Gambit, I think they're going to at least provide some updates and um, like some quality of life support for it. I, I don't know if they're going to release any additional content for it like they did with um, Shadow Tactics, but uh, after that, it's it's done and it makes me really sad. I really enjoy the style of game. It's like a stealth tactical game. And in this particular one, you play as a, a magical crew. So it takes place in the uh, the lost caribbean a part of the caribbean that is not on the maps and you join a ghost ship and the ghost ship has a a soul and you assemble a cursed crew of pirates so you play like the crews manned by skeletons and your entire crew are people that are dead but are still alive um and you go around and are fighting the inquisition who stands between you and uh treasure your main character has like a sword stuck in her chest and she can teleport around and stab people with the sword um there's like a doctor who is obsessed with plants and can throw plants there is a cook who can teleport the game plays like all their other games it does play the characters in this game are power more powerful than their previous games okay there's magic on both sides i just it feels like there's a, a lot going on in the other games you're playing as like a wild west guy who can't teleport or freeze time on people so it's like these additional powers are cool but also uh, makes the game easier but i really enjoy this style of game i played a good six hours of it on a, a flight to and from and it's a perfect companion for flying because the game is really does well with being offline so you could just play the game off line really progressed to the story i really enjoyed that they added components where you can actually level up your characters you're unlocking more characters there's more characters in the game and you can select them for each map you can select who you're bringing versus bringing who they kind of assigned which you have to do in previous iterations so this game really allows you to tailor your play style but if you tailor your play style into a play style that you're good at the game may become may feel like it's easy instead of trying to push on things that you may be difficult with so that's 
Shadow Gambit, The Cursed Crew. Really good game. I'm really excited to play more than six hours of it. And I'm also incredibly dejected and sad that um, Mimi is shutting down their studio because they were an awesome studio. I met some of their developers at PAX. I think you might have met some of their developers at PAX. I met them when they were developing Desperados. I met them when they were showing off Shadow uh, Shadow Tactics. I was playing a game at PAX that was Shadow Tactics when Shadow Tactics was new. I talked to some of their developers and they were like, oh, we got something in the works for the next couple of years. And then that, and they were like hinting at what it was without breaking NDA. And that game ended up being Desperados. And then they obviously then went on to work on the Cursed Crew. Produce a really high quality game. And that's part of the reasons why they're shutting the studio because it's very stressful to produce a high quality game on such a yeah. small studio. And the, the genre is just a very small genre to produce in. I'm, I'm sad because they did make some really, really good quality games. And it's probably going to be honestly, Jagged Alliance aside, I feel like it's probably going to be a while for this kind of quality to step back into the arena to make games of this caliber again in this genre. Always sad to see a good studio shutter their doors. That is sad. I agree. Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Well, Seth, I decided to take one out of your books, and I was playing Starfield, uh, released in 2023 by Bethesda Game Studios. As Seth mentioned last time, Starfield is Bethesda's newest RPG title, and it's a new intellectual property, so it's not based on anything they previously have made or on any IPs that they own, such as Fallout. You play as a silent protagonist who's tasked with, at least initially, finding various artifacts, and from there, you can really play the game as you want to play it. It's a Bethesda game, so you might want to play through the main storyline but as with all Bethesda games you really don't have to like there's nothing that locks you from what I can tell if you don't progress the main storyline past a certain point Uh, similar to Skyrim where I think when I was playing Skyrim I think I put like 120 hours into that game before I actually finished the main storyline because I just like goofed around all the time and that's what you can do in Starfield but in space so yeah it's a space game Uh, there's various factions to join partners to team up with items to steal and my guy is a large man with orange hair he's got an orange beard and his name is garfield and he loves eating and he loves stealing those are the two things that he does he's a former chef uh he's a bit of an introvert but god does he love eating lasagna um and you can actually you can actually find lasagna in the game now as the game is a space game you also have the option to pilot a starship and fly it around space uh though to be honest this is a bit more limited than what i think people were expecting certainly what i was expecting but I still like it. I don't mind the space combat. You have to do like balancing of energy levels to do certain things. So if you like want to go to warp, you have to put all of your energy into warp sort of deal. But yeah, I liked what I played so far. I will say it feels very Bethesda. There is a lot of Bethesda jank in there. And you know what? I don't mind. I love it. I went into a building in the game and I opened a door and a dish suddenly just flew out from behind a wall and it hit the wall in front of me. There was no one in the room. It was just a floating dish. And I I said, now this is the Bethesda I remember. In any case, that's what I've been recently playing. Today, we're going to get into the history of a game company called GSC Game World, who some people might be aware of if you're fans of the Cossacks games or the Stalker games. So getting right into the history, GSC Game World got their start in 1995 in Kiev, Ukraine. It was founded by Sergei Grigorovich when he was 15. The names of the company actually come from his translated initials, Grigorovich Sergei Konstantinovich. So G S C. And according to Sergey, this was done because his father had told him, you have to devote your life to making a name for yourself so that later 
there would be something to be proud of. And Sergei said, I'm going to name a company after myself. In 1996, when Sergei was 16, he employed 15 people and they worked out of a two-bedroom apartment. Part of their early projects were translating games into Russian, and they were one of the first companies in Ukraine to do this. Some of their earliest releases were CD-ROM encyclopedias that they translated to the Eastern market. In 1997, the company started work developing video games, though they would ultimately cancel their first project due to just assorted difficulties. In 1998, Russia was hit with a large economic crisis that resulted in the ruble being devalued and Russia defaulting on their debt. Due to this crisis, GSC decided it was a perfect opportunity to start putting attention toward the Western market now that Russia is going through a crisis. So GSC... Um, who were fans of games like Warcraft 2 had begun work on their own sequel to Warcraft 2 and they also reached out to Blizzard to try to secure a contract for Warcraft 3 but Blizzard said no. Undeterred, they continued work for about nine months on their own game called Warcraft 2000 Nuclear Epidemic. That's a great name. It sure is, and wait until you learn more about this game. <laughs> in many ways, Warcraft 2000 Nuclear Epidemic was done by GSC to essentially prove that they could make something as good, if not better, than what Blizzard could make. They actually sent like an early demo of their Warcraft 2000 to Blizzard to be like, this is what we could do with Warcraft 3. Blizzard still said no. <laughs> they didn't officially release the game, uh, as they knew they would be unable to license it. They decided to release the source code, which allowed the game to quickly hit the streets in pirated form. So you could go to the streets of Russia or Ukraine and buy a CD-ROM copy of Warcraft 2000 Nuclear Epidemic. However, some pirated CD-ROM copies came with a Taiwanese virus. Interestingly enough, in the help file for Warcraft 2000, there is a note, which you can translate from its original Russian, that details how the team chose to release the game because after working on it for nine months with the knowledge that it would never officially be released they were running low on funds and enthusiasm so they just chose to release it as is warcraft 2000 is interesting to say the least when looking at screenshots one might be fooled to believe that it was just a mod of warcraft 2 as the ui and graphics are identical however the game was built entirely on its own engine and features a variety of changes beyond the game being completely in russian gameplay changes consist of the lack of a traditional population cap you can build up to 8,000 units per team which is wild and the ability to select more than the original nine units at a, at a time which is convenient another addition is alien technology such as the ability to summon ufos and to construct nuclear missile silos and launch icbms because it wouldn't be warcraft 2000 <laughs> nuclear epidemic without nuclear warheads so there is a cgi cutscene at the beginning of this game where it shows the oryx summon aliens and then the aliens build a nuke silo and then they launch a nuke at some, like, human encampment. It just blows up. Hopefully to the Warcraft music. To the Warcraft music with sound effects and all the orcs are speaking Russian.
After Warcraft 2000, the team began to work on an asset pact called Doomcraft, where they would have units and assets based on the game Doom. But this was never released. Instead, they began working on another game in the same engine as Warcraft 2000. But this game would be an original title, Cossacks, European Wars, and was released in 2001. And it's an RTS game focused on the 17th and 18th centuries of Europe, and it's actually a game I heard about. Now, the game has some inspiration from titles like Age of Empires, and Empire Earth, but a major difference was that you could construct a seemingly unlimited number of units. This wasn't like games like Total War, where you could have huge swaths of units assigned to squads. In Cossacks, each unit is an individual entity that could be individually selected, which is wild. Yeah, because you could have thousands of units on your screen at once. All individually selected. Yep. So you could have just like one guy just sprint backwards. <laughs> yeah. Now, to account for the large number of enemies, the game combat relies on formations where you can group either 15, 36, 72, 120, or 196 single unit types in the presence of a corresponding officer and drummer. As the game is an RTS, you must collect resources like gold, wood, food, iron, coal, and stone. Food is essential, as you can be afflicted by a famine and your units will begin to die due to lack of supplies. Your workforce, consisting of peasants, can multitask on various projects also defend themselves if needed, but can also be captured and have their allegiances turned. The original Cossacks featured so for a little while I forgot I was talking about Cossacks and I thought I was still talking about Warcraft 2000 nuclear epidemic and I was stoked that there was so much of this isn't going on. I mean but it's all the same engine that they used That's for true. Warcraft 2000. The original Cossacks featured 16 playable nations, Algeria, Austria, England, France, Netherlands, Piedmont, Poland, Portugal, Prussia, Russia, Russia, Saxony, Spain, Sweden, Turkey, Ukraine, and Venice. In the Art of War expansion, Denmark and Bavaria were added, and then there was another expansion, Back to War, which had Switzerland and Hungary added. Following the release of Cossacks, GSC released Codename Outbreak, a first-person shooter set during the early 21st century when a parasitic life form invades. They also released another game called Hover Ace, a sci-fi-themed action racing game. Neither of these games scored very well, so we're just going to move right along. A game similar to Cossacks was released in 2002 titled American Conquest. While based in the same engine as Cossacks in Warcraft 2000, American Conquest is set, as the name implies, in the early days of North America, primarily the 15th through the 19th centuries. As the game uses the same engine, a lot of the same features are present. Large armies, various resources, and the need to monitor food in order to avoid your units dying from hunger. Unlike Cossacks, however, peasants in American Conquest are required for the creation of military units. If there are no peasants inside of your forts, units cannot be trained. If there are no peasants inside of your stables, mounted units cannot be trained. The game also added a morale feature. If units have low morale, they may flee the battlefield, and morale can be impacted by units being close to situations where they witness their own armies being completely wiped out by the enemy. So, I want you to think about how you might play an RTS game, where you send in a huge army to maybe wipe out an enemy's front, and maybe one or two guys survive and you try to get them to retreat. That will affect those two guys' morale, and they might flee a future battle, because they have witnessed the horrors of war. To increase morale, the player can construct standard bearers and military drummers. American Conquest had two expansion packs. One of these expansion packs, Fight Back, was developed by GSC, and another one was developed by Revolutionary Strategy, called Divided Nation. Fight Back added new nations, specifically the Mayas, 
Germany, Russia, Haida, Portugal, and the Netherlands. There are new campaigns as well, with a campaign centered on Germany featuring the expeditions of Ambrosius Anker and George von Speer, who were two German conquistadors in New Granada in Venezuela. The Russian storyline features the Alaskan campaign under Alexander Baranov. In Divided Nation, as one might be able to infer by the title, there are now Civil War <laughs> storylines. Additional nations added consist of the Union, the Confederacy, the Republic of Texas, and Mexico. And additional campaigns featuring the American Civil War, Texas Revolution, and the War of 1812 were added. GSC wouldn't stop here with RTS games. They created yet another called Alexander in 2000, which was a tie-in to the 2004 Oliver Stone film Alexander, based on the life of Alexander the Great. In this game, as one can think of, it takes place in the time of Alexander the Great in the uh, countries of Macedonia to India. You play primarily as Alexander, though after you beat the game as Alexander, you can now play as either Egypt, Persia, or India. So it's kind of limited in what you can do. Now, in 2005, GSC would follow up with Cossacks with the release of one that I uh, Cossacks game that I was interested in, Cossacks 2, The Napoleonic Wars. I think it's interesting that there's a series of games that I remember solely from their box art. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't buy because I didn't have, I, I had like, I had money to like buy maybe Baldur's Gate or like, or Cossacks or something like that, or like be able to buy like mainstream popular video game or Cossacks. And I usually chose the mainstream game. We could have been a Cossacks family though. We could have been a Cossacks family. Cossacks 2, Napoleonic Wars made some some major changes to the formula of the first game. For one thing, there is an additional mode called Battle of Europe with six playable nations, France, Russia, Prussia, Austria, Egypt, and Great Britain. In the expansion pack Battle for Europe, not to be confused with Battle of Europe, the game mode, your, uh, Spain, Warsaw, and the Rhine were also added. In the new mode, players control a single army and you move across Europe on a turn-by-turn -turn basis when you engage in combat with another nation. The battle will commence in real time as you play and win battles, you will have more units available to you. Cossacks 2 also upped the number of units substantially, with the limit of 64,000 being available. Another change is that units have fatigue meters, which must be monitored to avoid having problems with your troops. After the release of Cossacks 2 and another RTS called Heroes of Annihilated Empires, GSC would release the first game in one of their arguably best-known franchises, Stalker, or S-T-A-L-K-E-R. The first Stalker Stalker game was announced in 2001 as Stalker Oblivion Lost. The game would be delayed a few times from its original planned release of summer of 2003. And despite the de delays, GSC would release screenshots, video clips, and even invite fans to play the game in their offices in Kiev. In late 2003, a pre-alpha build of the game leaked to peer-to-peer -peer file sharing sites. While not being necessarily the best things to thing to happen to a game studio, the leak actually helped act as a tech demo for the final game. I think I actually got a copy of that the the leak i think i only had a copy of the leak thq was frustrated about the delays and would send dean sharp who later would go on to be the ceo of 4a games to oversee development and task him with cutting down features and downsizing the scale of game thq wanted the game out by 2006 but did not officially set a release date publicly however in october 2005 thq projected the game would likely hit shelves in 2007 but later revised this window and delayed the release again listen thq just wanted to get paid and they were pissed. Now, these constant delays earned Stalker ninth place in Wired Magazine's Vaporware Awards of 2006, which I think is great. And I hope that Wired Magazine still does Vaporware Awards. Man, me too. 
because I know who would be number one. Sarsis. <laughs> they, they win it every year. Uh, the game would officially go gold in March of 2007 and release as Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl. Stalker is, without a doubt, a technical marvel, featuring HDR rendering, parallax and normal mapping, motion blur, widescreen support, deferred shading, global illumination in real time, and proprietary A-Life artificial intelligence, which I completely forgot about the AI in this game. It is great. The AI in the game supports more than 1,000 characters who are non-scripted, meaning they will develop even when not in contact with the player. NPCs have a full life cycle of combat, rest, feeding, and sleep. So NPCs in the game, when you're nowhere near them, will go to bed, will get up, will have, we'll have breakfast, will go out, might fight a couple of monsters, will go back home, make dinner, Go to bed. <laughs> was there anything that was driving it or did it iterate on it? Like I'm 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 thinking back to like around this time you had like Oblivion, uh, with the Oblivion Radiant system, which was a little more I think more basic than this. Yeah, so this is GSC's proprietary stuff, so I don't know if they ever shared it with anyone else. I know similar technology has been used more modern games, especially more modern open world games. A lot of times the AI all have driven like things to them. But for two thousand and seven, this was like really impressive yeah the only your only competition would be oblivion and that that radiant ai was not the best it just made it more complicated for you to find an npc uh so monsters were also given a life cycle of hunting attacking stalkers resting eating and sleeping because the npcs are non-scripted there are virtually an unlimited number of random quests because npcs will just assign you to do things so you might need to rescue people from danger protect a camp search for treasure, and so on and so on. The game is heavily, heavily based on Roadside Picnic by Arkady and Boris Strugatsky in the 1979 adaptation of that book, Stalker, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky. The game also takes some influence from the real-life Chernobyl exclusion zone, the territory surrounding the Chernobyl nuclear power plant after the nuclear disaster in 1986. Now, the game itself is set in a territory called The Zone, again based on the Chernobyl exclusion zone, which encompasses 30 square kilometers. You play as a character who survives a vehicle crash and now suffers from amnesia. The only clue about your identity is the mysterious acronym STALKER and a PDA with an entry that reads KILL STRAYLOCK. You perform various tasks throughout the world of the zone and learn more about the fictional world that you're in, such as how Chernobyl was struck by a second disaster in the game's timeline, and how the area is filled with monsters and zombies and a ton of radiation. A mobile version of the game was released in 2007 and two follow ups called Clear Sky and Call of Pripyat. These games continue the story from the first game, building upon the world of the zone and the people in it, though would not be considered the official sequel because in 2009, the company announced that they were working on Stalker 2. They began work on it in 2009 and officially announced it in 2010. During development, however, they were hit with some hard times and the company shrank from 200 to 500 employees. In 2011, the Ukrainian news agency officially announced that GSC had dissolved. Uh, this was done, according to Sergei, for personal reasons and really didn't have to do with finances. He just made the personal decision to close the company. Now, I forgot to include this in the notes, but there was something that happened in like 2013, 2014 that 
caused a little bit of controversy. So a former GSC employee started a Kickstarter to create a stalker spiritual successor. And there was a lot of controversy about it because apparently a lot of the demos that the guy was showing were just Unity asset flips. But in any case, in 2014, the company officially reopened and began working on a new game, that being Cossacks 3, which was released in 2016. Despite the name, Cossacks 3 is not really a sequel to Cossacks 2. It is a remake of Cossacks European War with better graphics. Uh, It removes a lot of the gameplay tweaks that were made in the second game and kind of turns everything back to how the first game played, just with a nice coat of paint. In 2018, the company officially re-announced the development of Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl. Chernobyl spelled differently this time, uh, spelled C-H-O-R-N-O-B-O-L. In 2022, unfortunately, the Russian invasion of Ukraine began and GSC had to pause development of Stalker 2. During the invasion, the team relocated to Prague so that they could work safely because working in Kiev during the war was not a viable option for them. Sadly, one of their developers, Vladimir Yezov, was killed in action during a battle in Bakhmut in December of 2022. Uh, To move on to talking about sales after that down note there, uh, in terms of sales and the reception of their games, GSC has had various successes and lackluster releases. While it's virtually impossible to figure out the sales for Warcraft 2000 Nuclear Epidemic due to the fact that it was pirated, we're going to say 100 million billion trillion. If I can get Nuclear Epidemic working, we are playing it for extra life. Now, sources for Cossacks are easier to find. Uh, In Russia, Cossacks sold over 300,000 units by December of 2001. In the UK, it sold over 100,000 copies and ranked number one in the sales charts. The games, however, performed poorly in the United States. Overall, the first Cossacks sold 650,000 units by September of 2002, with the franchise surpassing 2.5 million in sales by 2005, primarily being driven by not the United States market. Stalker also sold very well, reaching 2 million units of sales by September of 2008. I feel like Stalker also sold better in the United States, mostly it because it was, an, it was an FPS versus another RTS. I think the problem with Cossacks is that when it came out, we already had like Age of Empire and Empire Earth, and those games were very popular here, but the United States was kind of moving on in terms of gameplay of like games that we like, while in Europe, RTS games were very popular and still are very popular. So I think that was really their really their niche um, was developing these RTS games for a European market. Now, in terms of rankings, Cossack scored very well. It received a 8.9 out of 10 from PC Zone, 4 stars from Next Generation, 7.5 out of 10 from IGN, 7.1 out of 10 from GameSpot. Cossacks 2 scored about the same, earning a 7.9 out of 10 from GameSpot and a 7.7 out of 10 from IGN. Cossacks 3 has had middling reviews mostly because it was a remaster and not a new game so it for the fans of Cossacks was just more the same with an average of 63 out of 100 from Metacritic and a 68 out of 100 from GameStar. American Conquest ranked a bit higher with 9 out of 10 from Eurogamer and 8.4 out of 10 from GameSpot 8.2 from IGN Uh, however I looked up American Conquest on Steam and it was mixed reviews so Hmm. where whereas their other stuff was very positive in fact Heroes of Annihilated Empires uh, mostly positive to very positive. Honestly. Oh, weird! All all the all the reviews I saw from the time were like, no, not really that good. A lot of them were just like, 
not really that different. <laughs> Alexander, meanwhile, received a 5.2 out of 10 from GameSpot and a 4 out of 10 from Eurogamer, with one review just saying, this is rubbish, and saying that it did nothing better than any other other, other games in the same genre, which being a movie tie-in, probably pretty accurate. Stalker hit it out of the park with a 9 out of 10 from PC Powerplay, out of 8 out of 10 from GameSpot, and 8.2 out of 10 from IGN. Clear Sky uh, ranked a bit less at 7 out of 10 from GameSpot, 7 out of 10 from Eurogamer, and 7.3 from IGN. IGN and Call of Pripyat brought it home with 8.20 from IGN, 8 out of 10 from GameSpot, and 8 out of 10 from Eurogamer. In terms of their legacy, GSC is still around, still making games despite the various delays in the war. Their games like Stalker and Cossacks have been regarded as cult classics. And Stalker in particular has gained a lot of popularity online, and if the internet is to be believed, there is hype for Stalker 2. I'm People are excited about Stalker 2. Yeah. I mean, I've played a bit of one of the Stalker games. I really thought it was interesting. It's an odd sort of game. I haven't played any of the Cossacks games, but I did literally just buy them all on GOG. So I'm going to play the Cossacks games. <laughs> I, I think they're an interesting company. I So the thing that got me interested in them was reading about this Warcraft 2000 nuclear epidemic because I was like, it's such an odd, odd thing. And then I was like, what did this company do? Like, is this their only game? And then I saw that they, they made Stalker and I was like, oh this is really interesting so hopefully people found it as interesting as i did now to get into our retro rewind seth had me play spy fox in dry cereal Developed by Humongous Games back in 1997, Spy Fox in Dry Serial is the first of the Spy Fox games. You play as the titular Spy Fox, an anthropomorphic fox who is an obvious homage to James Bond, though his voice kind of sounds like Maxwell Smart. Spy Fox's job in the first game is to locate the evil William the Kid, who is an anthropomorphic goat. William the Kid is planning to steal all the world's cow milk so that he can take over the dairy market with goat byproducts. The game is your typical humongous adventure, though is arguably a little bit more quote-unquote older. The box, for example, says that it's for ages like 5 to 10, as opposed to the Pup-Puck games, which say they are for ages 3 to 8. So it does have, I would say, slightly more complicated puzzles, but certainly not puzzles that someone my age would have trouble solving. I do like the humongous games. I find them very nostalgic. Spy Fox, a little less so. I did own a copy of In Dry Serial, though I think I got it. I don't remember playing it much. I just definitely owned a copy because I still have my copy, unless I got it later and I don't, I didn't realize. But in any case, Humongous Games have a bunch of silly jokes and it's kind of fun replaying the Spy Fox games because there are references to James Bond that are certainly easier to understand now that I'm older. In fact, one of the later Spy Fox games has a direct reference to the opening sequence of Goldeneye and I think that's hilarious. Spy Fox like like bungee jumps off of a dam, goes into like a vent system, and then pops out under into a bathroom. That's not in dry cereal, unfortunately, but still. Overall, it holds up. Next week, Seth, I want you to play Cyclones for MS-DOS, which is an SSI game. Nice. And it's a first-person shooter. Oh, perfect. <laughs> now, Zach had me play Pajama Sam, No Need to Hide When It's Dark Outside. This is the first game in the Pajama Sam series by the Humongous Games. We actually did an episode on Humongous Games way back in the archive. Just search for Classic Gaming Brothers Humongous Games. And it was released in October of 1996. Uh, you play as Pajama Sam, voiced by Pamela Siegel Adelon, who also played Bobby Hill in King of the Hill. You're tasked with exploring the land of darkness, and to defeat darkness, the entity that has dominion of the world um, and throughout
throughout this journey, you encounter xenophobic trees, a pretty dumb boat, a minecart who's grumpy and covered in rust, and a revolutionary carrot who wishes to overthrow the tyrannical refrigerator. Either the game is fun, with a lot of puzzles being fairly simple, but also entertaining since the game was designed for a child and I'm no longer a child. For example, one consists of timing your minecart ride to properly get to a specific section of track, or another puzzle of getting past the xenophobic trees by pretending to be a tree. Now, it overall holds up versus being a game for children. I'm not going to say it's high literary bar for those who are looking for a specific niche, but if you're looking for a simple adventure game that I guarantee even you, our fans, can solve, check out Pajama Sam's No Need to Hide When Dark Outside. Also, it's in the Scum engine, as is Spy Fox, so Scum games are very notoriously easy to find. Now, next week, Zach, you can play Rise of the Triad for MS-DOS. Will do. We're going to get on an MS-DOS kick. Now, thanks for listening to the show, everybody. Uh, we're happy to have you listen to us, um, and we say hello and goodbye from Ireland. If uh, you want to listen to us more, you can find us wherever you get your podcast apps, I guess. If you want to be able to follow us, you can follow us on our social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at Classic Gaming Brothers, and on Twitter and Blue Sky at CG Brothers Pod. Uh, we will be doing some Extra Life content. I think this is the middle of October, and so we'll be doing that in the beginning of November. Uh, we should be doing some Extra Lifing, uh, where we'll do 24 hours, and it'll be a lot of fun. We'll probably play some horrible games, maybe do an election speed run, and all sorts of fun stuff. And yeah, before we do, if, if anyone out there has a game that you want us to play for Extra Life, let us know. We'll be putting together a list of games that we are probably going to play, and we won't necessarily play a game that you tell us to, but uh, who knows? We're more easily convinced to play games that you tell us to the later it is in the day. So yeah, so Zach, am I forgetting anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. We have been the classic gaming brothers. That's right.